Hi, and welcome to Doing Good. I'm Rob Alvarez. And this is Kathy Wynn. Each week, we aim to bring you amazing stories from everyday people who are taking on life's challenges, both big and small, and along the way, doing good for others. We hope you enjoy these intimate conversations, and thank you so much for listening. In this episode, we sit down with Jocelyn the Wong Star Neil. Jocelyn is a former professional triathlete. She raced as the first Asian-American female professional triathlete specializing in the Ironman distance from 2009 to 2011. Jocelyn competed in over 20 Ironman races with Team TBB, inspiring so many to push themselves in the sport. Please enjoy our fun conversation with Jocelyn as we talk about her journey into professional triathlon and other endeavors, daring great things. Hi, Jocelyn. So glad to have you here on the show. Welcome. Um, Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So there's so many things I want to get into, but um, I'll just jump right into it because I think it's super cool and I've never met anyone with a cooler nickname. (laughs) So your nickname is the Long Star. So how did you, how did that come about? So the Long Star takes us back uh, over 10 years ago. I used to compete as a professional triathlete and my coach back then is Australian. Anyone in the tri world who is familiar with Brett Sutton, um, he has coached numerous world champions like Chrissy Wellington um, and the, uh, the Angry Bird. (laughs) <laughs> Daniela Reef. Oh, yeah. So I was on an international pro team called Team TVB back in the day. And my coach being Australian, I actually, he, it's pronounced Wongsta. Wongsta. Oh, <laughs> kind yeah. of like. It sounds better with an Australian accent. I always actually. thought he was just saying like Wongster, like. W-O-N-G-S-T-E-R. Makes sense. Um, And kind of like how people say gangsta for gangsta rap. (laughs) But uh, I had this, I had a blog when I was on the team and I had my whole running theme was like how to become an Asian triathlon superstar. So I had this (laughs) whole thing about how I wanted to be a triathlon superstar. And so... He he later clarified that it was Wong Star S T A R because I wanted to be a superstar, uh-huh. and so the non-Australian pronunciation is Wong Star, where he would say Wongsta whenever <laughs> he was like yelling at me <laughs> to get in the workout. I was a little worried by asking the question too because I was like, well, how it may sound, but I just think it's it's cool when someone gives you a nickname and. It's a fun little thing, but also something to kind of strive for is, hey, I want to be this, you know, superstar that of was, sorts, I guess, but kind of in a fun way, right? Yeah, and it was it was neat because that's what all my teammates would call me as well. And then as we added new members to the team, some people didn't even know what my actual first name was. Like we had uh, Manny, Manny Horta, who ended up, representing the U.S. in the Olympics for triathlon. He actually didn't know what my first name was for the first couple months. He just thought I was Wongster. (laughs) So, and I would add 
our bib numbers would have our last names on them. So I would just add the S-T-A-R at the end so that even people that saw me on the course would like cheer for me by my nickname. Yeah. That was pretty cool. If we take it back a little bit, how did you get started in triathlon? Because it's, you know, the sport of triathlon, um, it's always kind of fascinating to me how different people get into the sport because it's not like it's, uh, you know, your standard kind of high school sport, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, basketball Mm -hmm. or, you know, even track and field. So how did you get into it? Sure. Uh, So I did come from a running background So I've been running, uh, doing track and field since middle school. And I have an older sister who is about 20 months older than me. And so I always wanted to do what my big sister did. So she was the one that was really into track. Um, I didn't like running so much as far as when we had to do the mile in PE. (laughs) But once I got into middle school, I... I do remember trying out for the volleyball team and getting cut, which mm. is funny now because I'm really tall. <laughs> but back then I wasn't so tall. So I uh, decided I wanted to go out for running instead and ended up being pretty decent, but um, ended up getting into some injuries when I got to college. Because I had, I'm the kind of person that kind that gets really into whatever I'm interested in, like a little too far. Yeah. <laughs> so when I was that. running in high school, I dreamed about going to the Olympics. Um, that didn't quite pan out. I ended up going to a Division three college and trying to run cross country and track, but got some injuries there, and so. Um, while being sidelined for track, I had a friend that was on the cycling team and I didn't like that my track coach was having me basically sit on a stationary bike Uh while everyone else was out running. And I figured if I'm going to ride a bike, I might as well ride a real bike and race for the collegiate (laughs) cycling team. (laughs) And then once I had a bike, I had always heard about the Ironman triathlon. I had an Ironman running watch, and I had heard about it when I was in high school, but didn't really know anyone that did it. So uh, my freshman year in college, I got... My first road bike, spent all my scholarship money on it, (laughs) didn't tell my parents how much it actually costed, (laughs) but um, by the end of my freshman year, I had a friend um, from the track team whose flute teacher was doing the Ironman triathlon in California. Um, It was at Camp Pendleton. Uh, before 9-11, they had a full Ironman there. The race still exists, uh, but it is now a half Ironman, or 70.3, as it is now called. So I remember biking my longest bike ride. I was going to school in Claremont, California, and it was 100 miles from Claremont to Camp Pendleton. Uh, My friend and her boyfriend at the time lived in, I think, Irvine or around there, So I biked to Irvine, I think it was about 50 miles, and from Irvine we biked to Oceanside. 
and then found a crappy motel to spend the night. And the next morning, we woke up race morning and we were oh, like, wow. oh, we can volunteer. So okay. we volunteered as wetsuit strippers, <laughs> which <laughs> now they're called peelers because wetsuit stripper is like scandalous. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so yeah we we volunteered and got like up close to all the action um I hadn't done a triathlon at that point but I just remember how exciting it was watching all the pros do it but then once the pros all came by you would see all the regular people racing and there was I think there was a 70 something year old guy and so I think we ended up seeing all these people doing it, different shapes and sizes, different ages. And of course, I was this cocky 18-year-old kid. <laughs> and I remember we sat down to eat something before we were making the trek back to Irvine. And I was like, you guys think I might be able to do one of these? I mean, I'm 18. If this 70-year-old guy <laughs> can do an Ironman, then... Uh, <laughs> What's stopping me? And my friend Joey kind of looked at me and was like, I bet if you start training for it tomorrow, you could do it next year. And so it was like game on. <laughs> it's kind of right? game on. <laughs> and it was, it was kind of cool because she was one of my mentors at school. I think she was a senior when I was a freshman. And she had trained to do like the Western States 100 miler. And she had a flute teacher that was doing the Iron Man. So it wasn't totally outrageous to think of doing an Iron Man at the age of 18 when you're in the company of other people daring great things. And so I ended up doing my first sprint triathlon that summer when I was 18. Uh, signed up for the Iron Man next year. Didn't actually get to the start line because I had to get my tonsils taken out, which is one of my stories I wrote <laughs> for you guys, yeah. but uh, ended up doing my first Ironman the following year, my senior year in college when I was 20 years old. And yeah. Wow. Wait, so what, what gave you guys the idea to ride your bike down to? So um, it was Joey's flute Camp teacher. Pendleton. And so they had wanted to see her, uh, her name was, is Rachel. We wanted to see Rachel do the race, and, and why did you, you? And why did you guys ride bike there and <laughs> back as opposed to like there? just like drive there? <laughs> I guess that's my question. <laughs> I guess we were all endurance athletes, <laughs> so it was just a normal thing, I guess. <laughs> so Joey and her partner Dave had touring bikes. We all had road bikes, and. Okay. I didn't actually drive until I was out of college, so I didn't even oh, have okay. a driver's license yet. <laughs> so yeah, that explains it. Yeah, no driver's license, a bike is would do. Yeah, yeah, no, I that's so like, cool though. I mean, I, yeah. that's something I wouldn't have thought of in when I was in college. You know, yeah, no, I just, just biked everywhere. You know, this was um, my sister went to UCLA, which is fifty miles away from Claremont. So if I wanted to visit my sister, I would actually bike to LA. <laughs> to go see her. <laughs> so, how was your first Iron Man experience? I guess I, I mean, obviously, it was good enough to keep you doing. I think, uh, from my count, a total of like twenty-three at least. It was um, 
22, one of them was and, in DNF. And, and yeah, well, well, I'd like to hear that story too in a little bit. But so, yeah, how was that first one? It, so you're, I know you're sort of when kind of the watching, and I think this happens to a lot of us, you kind of get hooked yeah. on watching, you know, a specific sport. You're like, oh, this is so cool. And sometimes reality kind of hits and you're like, okay, this, and you do it and you're like, oh, um, this was okay. Or it wasn't as, as exciting as I thought it would be, but, but obviously that sure. first one was a pretty good experience. So where was that, by the way? Um, I did the inaugural Ironman Wisconsin in oh, 2002. Nice. Okay. And that was only because by then, um, Ironman California became a 70.3 mm-hmm. or I don't know if it was even called 70.3 back then. But like I had mentioned before, uh, 9-11 happened. And so they, um, Ironman California was on a Marine, U.S. Marine base. And so they ended up closing off the base where they couldn't support the full distance Ironman. So the friends that I had made at a local tri club, some of them were training for Wisconsin and kind of wrote me in. Uh. But training itself, I was always the the weird kid in college because Ironman and triathlon were not as popular as they are now. And especially, I mean, I guess even back then they kind of called it like the midlife crisis sport oh, really? where <laughs> it's like a lot of older rich guys that have oh. more money and I was the broke college kid that um, and I also went to a pretty nerdy college I went to Harvey Mudd uh, shout out in yeah. Claremont California where it was mostly and like, for those who don't know to me it's like the would be like an Ivy League college in California or so I guess you, I you guys, guys are like both that com- being compared to <laughs> from Southern <laughs> California. Yeah, it's not as well known out here on the East Coast, but Harvey Mudd was the nerdy science school. <laughs> and so um, I would be out training instead of like going to parties or I could have probably studied a little more. <laughs> as well, but I was out training for an Ironman because <laughs> um, and it was it was like College was a weird time because also all the local triathletes were twice my age, if not three times my age. Uh-huh. So training was, um, I enjoyed the training. Um, and then getting to race day, I just had, it was, I think, two years, two years in the making from vo- volunteering at that first one and seeing the first one. Um I think going to Wisconsin was probably the furthest I had ever been out of California. And my mom came with me. Um, the experience itself, it was it was pretty magical. I think I was one of the youngest athletes on the start line because you have to be 18 to, uh, to do yeah, an Ironman. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so I remember I just wanted to get through the swim because I've never been a swimmer. I, you know, I grew up running took to cycling pretty easily, but learning to swim as an adult is pretty difficult. Oh, yeah. So even later as a pro, the swim was always still a struggle. But once I got out of the swim in the lake, I was I was super happy. Um, 
the bike felt good. It's really hilly, but I mean, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, so hills don't scare me. <laughs> and then um, I felt pretty good on the run course because running's always been my jam. Um, but I do remember, I, I want to say it was around mile 20. Um, around mile 20, I think I started to lose that bounce in my step because I think that during the whole run I was passing people um, you know all full of smiles encouraging other people <laughs> and then I really started feeling it in my legs toward the last 10k um, I remember I wanted to like kind of stop and stretch but then I kind of had this horrible realization if I stopped then I wasn't sure I could get back up <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, did some, ended up doing a little bit of walking, um, and then I remember, I remember crossing the finish line. I did it in a little over 13 hours, um, and so if you remember from the other story, Rachel, who was the local flute teacher that did the Ironman two years before, I ended up doing some training with her, and I remember on some of our runs, she she would say, okay, we got to practice your finish line pose. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, That's the important. finish line yeah. pictures. Oh, and yeah. so we would practice, like, so <laughs> I would imagine, like, crossing the finish line, feeling great, lifting up both arms. And <laughs> so I remember, like, seeing the finish line and then throwing my hands up. But I felt like when I threw my hands up, like, something went out in my back. Oh, no. <laughs> but, it, I mean, nothing happened badly but I did end up having to go to the med tent because I, I was probably super dehydrated and like oh, my yeah. legs weren't working and then my mom was there and she kind of freaked out because I had to go to the med tent <laughs> but and I think when I crossed the line I told my mom I never want to do another oh, one yeah. of these <laughs> like never again <laughs> you know famous last words yeah I was gonna ask like how long Till you said, I'm going to do this again. <laughs> yeah, I think it might have been two days later. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I feel like everyone does the same thing. <laughs> yeah, probably they don't get to pass the two, day, two or three days before they want to do another one. So how did you end up um, becoming a professional triathlete? So Was it pre pretty soon? Like, how, how long after your first very first one. it was no it was not soon after at all um even though i s got a fairly early start in ironmans like i wouldn't say i was ever spectacular at it uh so people in the tri world know there's always the the whole allure of qualifying for ironman hawaii and kona and so i raced as an age grouper I think throughout my whole 18, the 18 to 24 age group. Um, and I always wanted to go to Kona. My dream was always to go to Kona. Uh, and you have to basically win the age group because the slots are distributed based on how big your age group is. And if your age group is tiny, because, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I think if you're like a male in your 40s, 
40 to 44 or 45 to 49, you can get 10 to 12 slots in your age group. But uh, as a female in the 18 to 24, it was pretty difficult. And I really, I wasn't that good. Um, I would say I was, I was a decent amateur. Um, and I really loved the Ironman distance for whatever crazy reason. I, I felt like I could go, I, I could hold my endurance. I could like go long and maintain a pace, but the shorter stuff, I wasn't super speedy. Um, and then I did end up, I went, I went on to grad school, um, did a couple more Ironmans, uh, hired a coach when I was in grad school. But even then, I went back to Wisconsin and I ended up somehow winning the collegiate division. Oh, uh, cool. But even then, uh, I can't even, I think I, it was still like 12 hours and something. So still not, not a super fast time. It was a hot day and I didn't even know I was the first woman in the collegiate division because it, it really it wasn't that big of a deal <laughs> other than I got called up on stage I really wanted to go for for the Kona slot um, so this was 2000 2005 um, and it turned out it turned out the girl that won that age group would later be my teammate um, on team TVV Christine waits from Germany so with chasing Kona slots, there's always people from all over the world trying to get those Kona slots for the world champion yep. championships. So um, it, I was so I would say I was okay, but I was never spectacular. I was never someone where it was like, oh. You're so amazing. You should go pro. It was <laughs> no, if anything I was a little delusional cuz I feel like <laughs> all triathletes have that dream like wouldn't it be fantastic to go pro? Like wouldn't it be great to be a pro triathlete? Um so I ended up I went to grad school for um prosthetics and orthotics and was pursuing my education from there. So it was a master's degree. Um, I went to Georgia Tech in Atlanta and in the meantime was still training for triathlons on and off. Um, and then it's a, it's a two year residency, one year in orthotics, one year in prosthetics. So while I was in my orthotics residency, um, I'd still be this big tri nerd, you know, following things on slow twitch and, uh, yeah. you know, whatever was on the internet for triathlon back then. And I remember seeing something on Slow Twitch, how they were announcing this international pro team, which um, I think it was going to be based in Asia, and it was called Team TBB. Um, and so I looked at their website, and it was full of these different pro athletes I knew that were winning Ironmans, because, of course, I was a tri-nerd. I, like followed all the women's races. I, I knew who was winning what. So I remember seeing, I think, Belinda Granger was on the team. She had won Ironman Canada, which I had done like the year I had done it. And so that was amazing. Uh, Hillary Biscay was on it. She was also from California and winning 
some of the local races, but she, would, she was a consistent podium finisher, so I recognize some names there. And so I thought that was cool, but then there was a tab, so it, you know, it was like our pro athletes, and here's all their profiles. Then there was a tab that said, our Asian athletes. <laughs> so me being Chinese American, I click on the tab because I was like, ooh, who are their Asian athletes? There was nobody there. They said, it was almost like a bookmark. It said, we are currently, yeah, <laughs> we are currently scouting our Asian athletes. Please check back soon. So, of course, me <laughs> being, <laughs> being a little delusional with the dream of like, you know, someday maybe I can be a pro triathlete. I actually emailed them. So I emailed whoever the contact was on the link who turned out to be the team manager. And I, I said, hey, I'm a Chinese American <laughs> triathlete. And I, uh, at the time, I was living in Texas. And I'm living in Texas. Uh, so I basically was asking for more information or if, you know, is this, are they recruiting Asian athletes? What's the deal? So, so I emailed them, didn't really think anything of it, and I think the team manager emailed me back and was like, hey, <laughs> tell us a little bit more about yourself. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so the next thing I knew, I was like, okay, well, so I gave them my triathlon resume and wrote a little bit about myself. Um, and, you know, I had won my age group in some small local races when I was in Atlanta, maybe some really small local races in Texas. I, I don't think I ever won anything outright, but I would win or place in my age group at these small races. So there was that, um, even though I didn't win my age group at that Ironman Wisconsin race, I put that, that you know, I was the collegiate champion at Ironman, <laughs> so I really played that up. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, and then the next thing I knew, uh, I think it might have been weeks, weeks later, where I was just like, "Well, you know, maybe give it a try." Yeah, maybe that was nothing, but you know, why not? So then, several weeks go by, and then I get an email back from the team manager, and this time he had cc'd brett sutton on it and i had heard of brett sutton because of course i followed triathlon like a big tri nerd <laughs> <laughs> and they were like oh we were really intrigued by your background and everything um let's go into talks with the coach about how we can maybe make you a part of the team and i was like whoa cool so I had always thought, and I think when I first clicked on the link about the Asian athletes, I didn't think they were like looking for someone to train to be a pro. Mm -hmm. So, but that's actually what they were they were wanting to do is um, basically have pro development athletes. So train someone to get up to the level of being a pro, as they were. So yeah. I think one of the things I had emailed them about was they had wanted to do um, 
different social projects and make more of a difference to athletes that were in Asia because the title sponsor was based in Singapore and mm. Southeast Asia. So they were saying they wanted to make more of a difference in the lives of the local athletes or the locals there. But when I had looked at their roster of pro triathletes, um, they had no Asians. It was predominantly white athletes, uh, even though it was an international team. I mean, they had Australians, they had some Americans. Um, and I said, you know, if you're going to try to influence Asian athletes or, or the locals, I, I think you guys should also have Asian pros or Asian members of your team. So yeah, I think there's that better connect, I think, or the, I guess relatability that you would have as an Asian athlete. Um, so, uh, well, the one little story i like to share. So, actually, before we met, I had, somehow I was like in downtown Wilmington, Delaware, I think for a, a work meeting or something. So I'm like, oh, there's this bike shop. And, I, and at the time, I was just starting to get into riding bikes and triathlon also, and I I walk into the bike boutique. I think that's what it was called downtown. And there's this mu big mural of the T Team TBB. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and it was like these giant like um, faces of, of of you guys at the team. I was like, oh, cool. And they, you know, even to, to me, like being you know, you know Asian American here in Delaware, I was like, oh wow, an an Asian pro triathlete. I was I was like that. You know, that is so cool. So what would you say uh, is your most memorable race as a pro? I have so many. <laughs> I think you've, uh, from my account, I think you raced in, as a pro, you raced in 18 Ironmans. So there only, was, well, a is, lot of different that's countries. That's a pretty um, so extensive I, career. I did... Is that what it was? Is it 18 as a pro? <laughs> yeah, I counted. I did a little bit of research. If I, I could believe that. Yeah, that does internet. make sense. I think I did four Ironmans as an amateur before before getting my pro card. Um, so, you know, uh, there I have so many different racing memories, but on the note of being an Asian-American pro triathlete, it was pretty special because I don't think um, I had I had actually looked into it um, so I I didn't know of any Asian American pro triathletes when I was an amateur like trying to look for someone that I could relate to um, so it was pretty special and I ended up having a decent fan base where, you know, with my nickname as the Wong Star, I also liked that, you know, obviously my last name is Wong, um, maiden name now. <laughs> so it was obvious that I was Chinese, <laughs> but I would, um, my first year racing as a pro was 2009 and then by 2010, um, the plan was for me to to race mostly in the U.S. to help launch um, the bike boutique. So, like you're saying, the bike shop, the bike boutique is the TBB in Team TBB, 
And ah, so, well, yeah. Good. I thought I knew that, but I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, yeah so the Bike Boutique uh, headquarters were in Singapore, but the goal was to open up uh, this bike shop franchise in every country. And so the uh, first U.S. store was here in Delaware because of all our special tax laws. And <laughs> so that is how I ended up in Delaware eventually. Um, ah. But I remember... 2009 was my first year racing pro and it was in all different countries because we did training camps in the Philippines, in Switzerland, um, and then later in South Korea. So we would race wherever we were. But 2010 was pretty special in that I would be racing in my home country and um, I would blog a lot, so it turned out a lot of people followed my blog, and I would go to these races, and I would, once I got on the run course, you know, it's a lot easier to cheer for your athlete that you're, that you're spectating or rooting for when they're out on the run, because you can actually see them going slow enough, like not on the bike when they're like, they go by in two seconds. But I remember being out on the run course, and I would also market myself as the most recognizable person on the start line because I was the only Asian. <laughs> so that helped with sponsors. <laughs> but I like as the year went by, because um, I think I did from Coeur d'Alene, I think Coeur d'Alene was in June, uh, almost every Ironman on US soil at the time oh. through uh, Ironman Arizona in November. And as the year went by and I would like keep blogging about races, I, there was more and more people cheering for me that I didn't actually know personally. And there would be races where I would have Asian American fans. And so that was pretty oh, cool. cool. And I also had people reach out that, had, that were also Asian Americans saying how cool it was to see someone racing pro that was also an Asian American. So that part was really special. Um, and uh, other than that, I don't know if I have a race that stands out. Um, breaking 10 hours was a pretty big deal. Which one was that? So this takes us back to 2009 when I was at training camps throughout the year. Um, let me think. <laughs> There's. See, this I, is how I, humble she is. She does such <laughs> phenomenal times, and she doesn't even. I have like a database. Like you tell me, oh, what was your best? I'll give you to the second. But she's like, oh, I don't know. Um, I broke ten, but no, I, I know. <laughs> I I trying to remember. I think so. When you're training under Brett and you're an Ironman specialist, that's like all you race is Ironmans. And so I remember as a as an amateur triathlete, you know, just racing one Ironman is in one year is really hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then when it becomes your full-time job and this is what you specialize in, I think my first year I did six Ironmans. And then in, the, in my second year, I did eight. Wow. <laughs> Which I, now that I'm 10 years removed from that situation and back to working a full-time job like a normal person, like, I can't believe I did that much but um yeah it was so the end of 2009 I had all this fitness from training all year full-time for the first year um 
and I did an Iron Man in Korea called The Great Man. And then it turned out I also got into Iron Man Florida, which would be two weeks later. <laughs> so, and that wasn't planned at all. So initially, I think now there's a... a uh, within two weeks, two Iron Man. Yeah, Mans. two Iron Mans oh. in two weeks, and I broke 10 hours in both. So that's oh, one of wow. my proudest accomplishments. That's amazing. Um, yeah, at the time. So if you guys want more stories, I have so and, many stories. And for those that don't, <laughs> the, you know, for the few people out there that haven't heard of an Iron Man, it's a 2.4-mile swim... A wait, what's a bike? A hundred twelve mile bike ride, and a full marathon, twenty six point two. So a total of a hundred and forty point six miles. So to do that in under ten hours is amazing, and to do two of those <laughs> in a matter of two <laughs> weeks is is uh, incredible. In two different countries. In yeah. two different countries. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So. And that wasn't it, that wasn't the plan going into even planning the end of the season. So nowadays, if you're a pro triathlete racing in an Ironman sanctioned race, you can get what they call the pro membership. So you pay however much. I think it used to be like seven hundred bucks, but now it it might be like nine hundred or a thousand. I don't even know anymore. But that entitles you to race however many Ironman races um, all around the world. But back in 2009, for some of these more popular Ironmans, it was all about who you knew. And mm. I wasn't that good. <laughs> I was like this like no-name pro. I wasn't that fast yet. Um, but I was on this team and had some great mentors. So um, one of them was Bella Bayless, who uh, she was also known as Bella Comerford. She had won Ironman Florida multiple times. So she was uh, good buddies with Heather Fuhrer, who was also a retired pro triathlete. But she was in charge, I think, of the like which pros got a spot on the start on the uh -huh. starting line. And I had, and I had also remembered Heather Fuhrer was the one that won Ironman California back when I was 18 years old and watching my first Ironman. So that was kind of neat um, because I think Bella had my back, and she was, she kind of asked Heather for the favor of letting me get on the start line. And so this was, I think, the first week in November. But we didn't hear back for a while, so I didn't think I was going to get to race Ironman Florida. Um, so instead, I was. we had a training camp in South Korea on Jeju Island. Um, so I got to... Um, I was supposed to do the Great Man race, which was there, I think, in October. Or maybe it was supposed to be even earlier. Um, but this was also the year that swine flu was a big epidemic. Uh, you guys remember, I remember that? Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone, in, yeah, wearing like face masks in airports and uh -huh. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I I want to say the Great Man race was originally in September, and they ended up 
canceling the great man. So that was kind of disappointing because I had a spot to go there. Um, it was a local Ironman race in Korea. Um, and we were training. So I had trained in Switzerland that summer, I think through August. And then in September, I was supposed to go race the great man. But then it got, uh, it got canceled due to, due to, I don't know if it was due to swine flu, but for some reason they had to cancel it. And then when they rescheduled it, they would only let local Korean athletes race because oh, really? they didn't want people coming from other countries oh, because of right. the whole swine flu outbreak. Yeah. Um, incidentally, I, I'm pretty sure I got swine flu earlier that year. Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> when I was trying to qualify for my pro card earlier that year in May, um, I, I got my pro card at uh, the Ironman 70.3 in Florida in May. And then a friend from college was getting married in Queens, New York. So I got my pro card, um, which is a real high because I remember... My dad followed me online and calling me afterwards because this was before smartphones, so you couldn't just do the race and look up your results on your phone. Yeah. So he was tracking me on the internet, and <laughs> so he knew if I got like the top three amateurs, which would uh, qualify you for a pro card. Um, that was pretty special. But then I flew straight to New York to attend a college friend's wedding, um, and it turns out, I, and then I got sick a week later with a really bad flu when I went back home to California. And it turned out the same time the wedding was there, there was a huge swine flu outbreak in Queens. Oh, no. <laughs> so I it was not the only guest at the party that ended up getting it. <laughs> but that was in May. And then so later in October, they ended up rescheduling the great man. Um, I was able to get in because they made an exception because... I think I told them I, I already got the swine flu, so I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to like bring it in. <laughs> but also, I had been training in Korea for I think two months at that point, so I was pretty much a local athlete. So it was only for Korean athletes, and some of us that were local got to do it. But it was a small race, but I remember. Um, I remember feeling like I was fit to to break ten hours, um, but it was it was much smaller than like any Ironman branded race you would go to now. So it was hard it's hard to tell because you don't have all the spectators and all the other competitors. So if anything, it was like a time trial, <laughs> almost like a time trial sub ten, which I would argue is a little more difficult. Oh wow. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, Is how did that work? Or so it was still. I mean, it was still an Ironman distance. Um, but I think I ended up only the the male winner of the pro race beat me. Oh wow! So I was second overall, which is pretty oh, cool. cool. Wow. <laughs> but it was. Uh, yeah, it was a multi loop. I want to say the bike was was two loops. Um, oh, okay. And I was a pretty strong biker, so I remember 
at some point like turning around and there were like 10 guys on my wheel <laughs> like, dude get off my They're wheel drafting you. like i didn't have anyone i could like really like i was just chasing like the whole day but i remember turning around at some point i was just like dude guys like <laughs> it, it, that just made me bike that. harder to like oh, shake no. them off my wheel <laughs> and then i had i think the run course is three loops so i had a lead uh, a lead biker for the first loop and uh i would race with my i i would race with like camelback filled with like frappuccino <laughs> so that was also one of my signature things i did to like race in the heat so I, you know, I should have got a Starbucks sponsorship. Oh, you should. <laughs> Me and Kathy are gotta try that next. Lovers. I gotta try that next race. Well, let's just make sure uh, the Starbucks CEO or anyone in management is listening to this. <laughs> we could use a Starbucks sponsorship yeah, reach, now. Reach out. <laughs> so yeah, I would because we were doing so many training camps in Southeast Asia where it was like super hot and humid. Um, I ended up learning to race with a hydration pack and i think this is before ultra running really got big so it was kind of unusual to see somebody running with a camelback uh -huh. but i ended up doing that for i think all my ironman races and i would have this mix i'd call it my rocket fuel where i would get um i could get bottled starbucks frappuccinos and then i would add noon electrolyte tablets but it was they i think they've discontinued the flavor but it was called kona cola because if you mix it with coffee flavor it's not that weird oh, that's <laughs> I interesting gonna, I yeah, try say, that. like golly sports drinks with you know i love starbucks but, but you, star, yeah that, that, i have that, to say that one was of a my, bit of a turn off but no. I think one of my best training runs i remember was right after like downing a grande frappuccino so yeah you know, i think it's the caffeine and it cools you off especially in the middle of summer yeah it's cools off your body i think that's a i'm gonna have to try that but one of was, these races yeah this, this coming year because you know the big secret to any like long distance nutrition um you know actually getting it down is you want to take in all these calories but stuff starts to taste gross you know after however many hours and so I would, oh, and then I would eat Hello Panda cookies on the bike. So those are like my <laughs> two like signature food, super foods right there. <laughs> nutrition <laughs> secrets is like if people aren't familiar with Hello Pandas, they are, they actually sell them in Target now, but they're little cookies filled with chocolate filling. And they're, they're originally from, uh, you know, we had them growing up as Asian kids. They're in every Asian supermarket. Yeah. You know what I'm thinking right those. now? I'm thinking of branding the Long Star Nutrition Pack. <laughs> <laughs> hey, right? Go. That's a great idea. I think we. I think. I think yeah, we got, got something there. Some, some good business. So what? Potential. What year was this? So this is what, what? 2009, oh. and I okay. would. Okay, so yeah, I would freeze the. If it was super hot and I knew that it would melt my drink in the camelback bladder, um, I would I would freeze the second one. So I always had two, one for the first half marathon, and then the second one was in special needs. Ah. So depending where they are sitting, I would either fill it with ice mixed with the 
frappuccinos or I would freeze, I would sometimes freeze the second one. So by the time you got to the second half, it would be thawing. Nice and, and slushy. It would taste amazing, <laughs> and it would keep me hydrated and full of calories. You might, you might just get me out of my marathon retirement just to try that. Because <laughs> you have to find something that tastes delicious when it's still it's over a hundred degrees. But yeah, so sorry, I keep that going. makes that makes uh, <laughs> that makes running a super long distance sound a little bit. Uh, appealing to more me more palatable <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I was saying so the the two Ironmans in two weeks wasn't planned but then the great men got pushed back a month to the end of October and then and I think once I knew I was training for that I found out I got into Ironman Florida so my coach was like well why not he has had like a whole bunch of his other athletes do the double, as he uh, calls it. Yeah. Um, Hillary Biscay was known to do a lot of these doubles, and he did model a lot of my training after hers. Um, so, and I think sometimes he had athletes do them one week apart, which is more nuts. I've never wow. done, I think I've done a, three sets of the double two weeks apart. <laughs> oh wow so a third one up so three in four weeks no no oh. like um i think i did so i did great man and iron man florida in 2009 um in 2010 i did oh the doubles doing the doubles yeah like three three, times. three wow. different times okay. wow. three different times um so i didn't know how the that first time would go but you know, I had a great race at Great Man. Uh, I won a giant sack of rice, <laughs> <laughs> which I did not take on the That's airplane. That's a cool trophy. <laughs> <laughs> they gave me some cash. They gave me like Korean money too, which is always fun because with the currency exchange, it's you end up getting like a million in korean dollars <laughs> and so i remember the first time i won at a korean race i was like i'm a millionaire <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so you know a lot of uh what we talk about in with we run with you is kind of overcoming big challenges and how we kind of deal with it so to talk a little bit about that too i know a couple of years later i think back in korea mm -hmm. Ironman Korea, you returned there and um, had a big, pretty, or it sounded, like, it sounded to me a pretty big bike crash and fairly serious and potentially could have even been a lot worse. Can you talk a little bit if you're, if you're comfortable talking about that experience and how, you know, how you, you dealt with it and how you, how you came out of that? Yeah, so... Uh... Iron Man, this, so this would be Iron Man Korea in 2011. So you're sort of like two or three years into your pro career already? So, um, three, so this would have been my third season as a pro. And it was, it was fun going into it because I had actually won the race, I think, two years before. So I got a lot of press as like one of the returning champions. So that was pretty neat. Um, I think by then I had settled in Delaware, 
So with the opening of that the bike yeah. boutique where I was on the wall. Yeah, because I think it was 2010 store. when I first saw that. Uh -huh. Yeah. So 2010 saw me racing all throughout the U.S. And then I ended up uh, settling in Del Delaware to help promote the store. And then I continued to train here with a local group. Um, and Brett was still training me remotely through the internet, um, which wasn't as effective as being there in person with him and training with all my teammates at training camps. But I showed up uh, at Ironman Korea, um, still ready to, to race my little heart out. Um, and uh, the most annoying thing was this happened probably at mile 110 out of 112. Oh, wow. Yeah. That close to and the... I think I was in fifth place um, looking forward to getting on the run, which was always one of my um, strongest, strongest parts of the try was being able to run strong after the bike, especially in a hot and humid race because I had my secret weapon, Frappuccinos. <laughs> 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 but... Uh, it was, so it was a two loop bike course. And if you were on your f second loop finishing the race, you took, uh, you went straight at the fork. If you were going into your second loop, you made a left at the fork. Uh, the roads weren't actually closed to traffic, although they tried. Um, and it was a minivan was kind of parked right there in the fork. And as I was speeding down the hill, um, let me let me see if I can remember this right. Uh, I was supposed to go stay to the right to get to the transition area, and it the the minivan uh, started moving and it kind of went right into my path, and oh, so wow. I towards you. No, it was going in the same direction. It was in front of me, but going the same direction, but kind of like pulled in front of me. Oh, wow. So it kind of cut you off. Yeah, it kind of cut me off. And then I think I had to swerve. I wasn't sure which direction to go to get out of its way. Well, I was... So, you know, you can say I hit the van. <laughs> like it wasn't you like the car hit nothing. me, but it was... It swerved right in front of me. I ended up... Um, Somehow the I broke the rear windshield of this minivan with my face. Oh my god! <laughs> so, cause I just remember um, I hit the back of the car and somehow my bike was like under the back of the car. There was glass all around me, and I was like laying on the ground and I could feel blood dripping off my face. So I ended up needing stitches in my chin. Um, and I banged up my right knee. Um, and even as I was laying there, I was wondering if I could get up. Oh, really? Because <laughs> oh, wow. I, was, I was there to win prize money, damn it. And I was in the money. I think top five got money, and I was in the money. But I was also bleeding and laying on the ground, and like my leg was throbbing. Um, and so I had to get taken off in an ambulance uh, in this foreign hospital. And that was my first ever DNF, I think, out of any triathlon I'd ever done. My, my only Ironman DNF. 
because um, you know once you get medical assistance you are not allowed to continue oh really oh. yeah yeah so um that sucked <laughs> <laughs> they kind of just passed patch you up then put you back in that same spot and say yeah continue on <laughs> yeah it, it really sucked there was i got to the hospital i was not the only athlete that got hit by a car oh really and oh, wow. i do believe that may have been the last year that that race had was iron man sanctioned because i don't know if uh, <laughs> that was one of the reasons they lost their the iron man branding was that it was not a safe course to ride oh, wow ride bikes and you know it could have been a lot worse so i am i am very grateful it wasn't worse um because even then i want to say the next day after the award ceremony there was there was a guy on the bus who saw me and he like broke out in tears and gave me a hug i did oh. not know who this guy was but apparently he had been biking right behind me and he saw the whole thing Saw the oh. whole thing go down and thought I was dead because oh he saw me laying on the ground, like basically practically under the, the van with this shattered rear windshield, like bleeding. So he, he thought that I like died or something worse. Um, so he was really happy to see me. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I acknowledge that people die from car versus bike accidents all the time. So I am very lucky that um, it ended up, I got stitches to my chin, um, and then my knee was pretty swollen. I would not find out until three months later um, that uh, I tore a ligament in my knee. Oh, it wow. felt bad. So this also, it also coincides with um, prior to this race, I had already decided I wanted to return to work. Um, okay. But the goal had been to, to work part-time and keep racing as a pro triathlete. So this was like a time for big transitions. But um, And there were a lot of, lot of factors that led to me deciding to end up retiring later that year. Uh, being, being injured was one of them. I think it was my first major injury as a pro um but i also had run out of money by then <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> and she really wanted that prize money <laughs> so it was it was tricky yeah was, uh, you you really don't make much money as a professional triathlete unless you are ironman world champion you know winning lots of races few, yeah. um you know it also i would say it was 2008 2009 was not the best time to decide to be a pro triathlete if you guys remember that was around the time there was the recession oh yeah yeah, yeah. so uh and there was the recession so a lot of our team sponsors um were pulling out there were i got a small stipend uh, being on the team um I think maybe $600 a month, which doesn't really cover much. And so you rely on sponsorships. You rely on winning prize money. Some people would rely on their rich families, <laughs> mom and dad, or like a husband, which um, I didn't have. I didn't want my parents to help me. Um, I was trying to make it on my own, but... 
you can also <laughs> so you can also only uh, plead economic hardship on your student loans for three years. So <laughs> coincidentally, my three years were up. <laughs> uh, but uh, I had already decided prior to Ironman Korea that I wanted to return to work part time in prosthetics and orthotics because I also um, I felt like being a pro triathlete was also a little selfish. So, you know, it's all about as as much fun it was as it was to, you know, pursue your passion. And I did enjoy trying to inspire future generations of Asian American triathletes. Um, it also didn't feel super meaningful. Mm -hmm. So. So in terms of uh, I guess in terms of recovery and sort of being able to race or even train get back on yeah. the bike how how was that for you so the the bike accident happened on july 3rd so that was ironman korea uh, i went back to work the next week the reason i didn't have an mri for three months was because i didn't have health insurance i didn't have great health insurance as a pro triathlete but once I got my job, <laughs> I ended up so I ended up going back to work and full time is considered 32 hours a week at the company I was at. So that came with better health insurance. Um, I, had, I kept training um, at some capacity right after the accident because, you know, I think I had to take I had stitches I had stitches in my elbow and my chin, so you needed to take two weeks off swimming because you cannot yeah. be swimming with like open wounds, right? <laughs> so I remember taking those two weeks off swimming. Um, running felt okay. Um, biking, I thought, felt okay, and it was... Uh, the ligament in my knee is related to, sorry, you know what? It was a quad tendon. It uh, was not okay. a ligament. It was one of my quadriceps tendons. Uh, and so you really need those quads for cycling. Yeah. <laughs> so I kept training. Because um, at this point, I was like, oh, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. You know, you're a little bit in denial. I was like, okay. Stitches came out, you know, superficial wounds heal. Uh, I can keep going. Um, take it easy. Um, and at this point, my, my previous teammate and another good mentor, Rebecca Preston, was coaching me um, to help finish out the season. Uh, and I actually did one more Ironman that year. Oh wow! <laughs> I did one more Ironman before I knew that I had torn a tendon in my oh, knee. Oh really? So you were you you raced it injured? I raced it injured, and it wasn't a great race because I was trying to juggle working a full time job for the first time in three or four years. I was uh, juggling um, this whole new lifestyle with trying to train and um, getting through this injury. So I didn't have the best fitness. Uh, I think all of my training leading up to it was like pretty easy. And so it wasn't until I got on the race course and tried to 
hammer on the bike. That's when you're recruiting your quads. And so that's when I felt the pain in my knee. Um, still got through the marathon fine. I think I still went like sub four, maybe like a 345 or something, even though I was going pretty easy. And then, uh, but knew, I knew, uh, I knew during that race, I really need to figure out what was wrong with my knee. And so that's when I got back home, got the MRI and realized, uh, something was, was not okay. And I needed to take more time off, needed to recover, do more rehab. Um, I think I paid out of pocket for one of those plasma injections, which, you know, I already had no money, but you know. <laughs> It was like a $700 shot to my knee. Like, you know, desperate for like anything that's going to help. I don't know if it did help, but I, it turned out I just, I needed more time off. And I was kind of at that stage mentally, I was really burnt out. I was really frustrated. So I, I made the dishes decision. Um, and I think it, I was also coming up on my 30th birthday, which now I look back and I kind of laugh because <laughs> back then I was just like, Oh, I'm turning 30. <laughs> like, I really need to figure out what I'm going to do with my life because this, you know, such a big milestone. And now now that I'm 30, I, I'm, like, looking back at young me and being like, ah, you're still so young. <laughs> you're still so young now. Yeah, you're still <laughs> very young. <laughs> but I, I was frustrated enough. I just, um, I just kind of, like, threw in the towel and was, like, tired of this. Um... I I just couldn't do it anymore. I felt like I had invested so much blood, sweat, and tears, emotions, finances, that I I just didn't I didn't want to do triathlon anymore. You know, it's your love hate relationship. I was like, I'm done. So I ended up I announced my retirement <laughs> because you know I always thought I was like. I'm kind of a big deal. I'm like the Asian triathlon superstar. And I knew I had like good followers um, on my blog. So I remember making this big statement about retiring. This is like before Instagram, <laughs> but there was still, there was like Facebook. I had a Facebook fan page. <laughs> and, um, and then somebody on slow Twitch posted it. And so I was like really it was kind of moving because there was like, I had a few haters, which, you know, you made it big when you got haters on slow That's Twitch. Right. <laughs> but, but there was, uh, there was actually a lot of people that were really supportive. Um, but then I kind of just, I, it's almost like I really wanted to separate like com compartmentalize my life. Like, okay, so that was like my pro triathlon life. And then, so now I'm going to go back to being a, quote unquote, normal, normal person with a big girl job. And so I kind of threw myself into into working again. But I did. I struggled for for several years with who am I if I'm not an athlete? Yeah. Um, it took a while to just get over the injuries. Um, I went through different phases of trying to figure out what what do I do next as my athletic identity? There was, <laughs> there was a brief period where I thought, I don't know if I've told you guys this. Um, it's on my blog, if you ever want to look. I went through this short phase where I was like, I'm going to become a, an Olympic race walker. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did tell me about it. 
because I figured, um, I figured, you know, if I can't, I can't bike and run at full capacity, I could walk really fast. And I think at the time, I was, you know, I've always fantasized about the, the Olympics being from like that, ever since I was like a teenager doing track and field, you know, I love the Olympics. But I was like looking at what, uh, what sport I could do where the U.S. did not have a strong presence, race walking, ah. <laughs> you know, it looks funny, but, you know, it, and that's, I feel like that's, that was very short lived because <laughs> I realized with that knee injury I had, one of the rules in race walking, okay, so the, the two rules is obviously you have to have one foot on the ground at all times. Yeah. Otherwise you would be running, but it is to the naked eye. So there is, you know, there's, you, you get yellow cards or red cards, just like in soccer. <laughs> it's if a judge sees you breaking the rule. But the other rule that people don't know about as much is you have to have uh, that, the knee fully extended when it, when you heel strike. Ah. Yeah. So when that, that leg that's, that's striking the ground lands, your knee has to be fully extended. Turns out that knee injury I had prevented my right knee from completely fully extending oh. so but I did I, I I had found a local coach that had been an elite race walker because <laughs> I and I, I feel like none of this surprises you because you know how how far I get into like when I have my mindset on something I'm like gonna go all out <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> that was short-lived but then I had also would later um I would later get hooked onto these other sports where I'd have like short spurts of that's what I'm going to do next. And so this goes for obstacle course racing. I did one Spartan race with my husband and I was like, this is what I'm going to do next. <laughs> and I remember a coworker saying, you know, you're going to have to completely transform your body for that. Right. And like me with my puny, puny arms. Um, <laughs> Oh, I know, but I could do it. <laughs> You're a great example. This is sort of a saying we have with We Run With You, go beyond your perceived limitations. And all the stories that, you know, you've, you've shared so far, and I, I know of you, you you've haven't thought about limitations very much. You're like, I'm going for it, and <laughs> and nothing's going to stop. That's what, I, you know, that's what I love about you. It's like, all right, let's figure out how to do this, and... This sounds like it'll be interesting. It's a great challenge. I think I can do it. I and, can do it. But, you know, it also shows kind of the, what experiences it's led for you. I mean, it's being, you know, part of a professional triathlon team, traveling the world and and all these different experiences just from saying, hey, I'm going sure. to, I'm not going to limit myself to saying, I can't do this. I'm going to go submit my application to be a pro. Yeah. <laughs> And as far as your, so recovery wise, I know this was, I think this is the original intent of your question. I feel like people that have had different traumatic like things or, or critical illnesses, um, sometimes you end up losing some sort of physical ability or going through something traumatic where it's hard to, you know, like get back on the bike or if you're in a car accident, 
have having to do deal with any PTSD, that kind of thing. Um, I feel like continuing to keep moving is such a great part of therapy. Um, I work now in prosthetics and orthotics, so I do see people on an almost daily basis that have um, lost limbs, that need prosthetic legs, and I feel like one of the things that drew me to this profession is that I know the therapeutic value of exercise, and so I am very passionate about helping people being able to get back to doing what they were doing before or being able to get active again. Sometimes you're not able to get do the activity you were able to do before, but there is always something else. And I think that is what I was searching for was, what else can I do if I can't do X, Y, or Z? And it's... And I think just being open to that too. Right? Sure. I mean, it's, that's important. So some, for some, that's kind of the challenge is... Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, I can't do this one thing anymore that I used to love doing for whatever reason, right? And they think, well, that's it. Then there's nothing else for me. But you're, you're like, what else can I find? (laughs) Race walking and you know, obstacle course. That sounds like a great new challenge. So I mean, I think that's great advice for. for But I also acknowledge it's really difficult because. You may not find like what you were super passionate about before. I know there are people that have been runners where they're, they get some sort of injury where they can't run anymore and they're looking for what can I do next. And I've, I've experienced myself where, where you try different things and you don't get necessarily the same high as far as running. Like I've talked to injured runners where they they just can't do it anymore, whether it's their feet or their knees or some other injury. And, you know, being a triathlete, I was like, oh, have you tried swimming? Have you tried biking? But sometimes there's just, there's no substitute. Yeah, it's not the same, I it's, guess, for them. Yeah, hmm. it's not the same. So, so there is that. Um, but I feel like any kind of movement is better than no movement. Yeah. I mean, I think like for me, I, I'm sort of similar, maybe not to your extent where I get really get into, if get into anything. And it's not, it's not always get, I get obsessive (laughs) in a way. And it's not, it's not always, you know, um, something athletic, but I do kind of, it's easy for me to get obsessed with things uh, and new things. So, Mm -hmm. um, but I, I can understand um, where some some people may it may be a lot harder for them to kind of get get obsessive about the next thing, right? Sure. Or, or forget about the the thing that they they've lost or they they can no longer do. Right, and I mean, even I had I had difficulty finding what that next thing was. Um, you know, I went through an ultra running phase. I went through a phase where I I was saying, oh, I'll be like just a a 10-mile specialist in running or tried to go into marathoning, but I don't know if I also have a little ADHD, <laughs> not well, formally but, diagnosed, <laughs> but I also changed my mind <laughs> really quickly. But I think <laughs> the other thing to take away from that, too, is to try things, right? I mm-hmm. think um, not to be afraid to try things because you never know how you're going to feel about it. And 
and it's not if you get into something you don't necessarily have to get obsessive about it but at least try trying new things i think is is really good advice and something i i take away from what you just said whether you know once you realize oh maybe it's not the thing for me now it's you know what else is there so mm-hmm. i think being open and to trying new things i know yeah we can keep talking for hours and there's so many more things i want to get into so definitely we have to do a part two of this someday hopefully sure you're enjoying this conversation hopefully our listeners are taking away so much i know i know i am but before we end this uh, i have a couple of rapid fire questions oh boy um so to kind of to kind of end it okay um so first one is when you're running would you say you're running from something or towards something and you can elaborate a little bit if you like (laughs) i would be running towards something i feel like running away from stuff is what non-runners say when they're like Oh, I could never run that far unless someone was chasing me. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> When's your favorite time to run? Probably in the morning. And I don't know that, I don't know if this is because I work full time now, but by the end of my work day, I, I feel like I use a lot of of brain energy, more like emotional and mental energy yeah. rather than physical energy. So... If I don't get my run in before work, it's probably not happening after work. Ah, makes sense. I feel that way M- most days. <laughs> it forces you to be a morning person, which um, I don't know that I would naturally be a morning person. <laughs> when when life kind of gets overwhelming, you know what do you what do you do to kind of clear your head or to reset yourself? There's, is there something? Is there a go to that you have? Uh, I feel like life is never that bad. And um, I think I what helped me develop this mentality is that, uh, you know, a few years after I got that knee injury, I ended up uh, getting recruited for a job at Walter Reed Military Hospital in D.C., Mm-hmm. where I was working with a lot of the wounded soldiers from the Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts. And so on a day-to-day basis, I was working with guys that you know dedicated their life protecting the U.S. that ended up losing usually more than one limb. Um, so it was double amputees, some triple amputees. There were even uh, one or two that were quadruple amputees. Wow. And... You know, one of my other coworkers that didn't work in the hospital with us, he was at the the private practice. Um, it was like, isn't it depressing to be there? And it was like, no, not at all. Because every day you would see these guys that had dealt with some pretty bad injuries that were extremely motivated, extremely grateful to be alive. And they would be working their butts off in physical therapy and it was always to me it was it was genuine genuinely very inspiring and motivating and seeing people go through that much that much um hardship 
physically, mentally, and emotionally, I, if I was ever dealing with anything, it would just, it was never that bad. Yeah, it kind of puts things in perspective. Yeah, that's, it definitely did. That's awesome. So what would you, what would your advice be to someone who is sort of in that maybe situation where they're kind of recover from, from a major setback? Um, I really believe in the power of a team atmosphere, whether it is, you know, not necessarily being on some professional team, but having, surrounding yourself with people around you that are positive, that are supportive, um, you know, having your own team is, like, anyone on your caregiver team, anyone that is, you know, there's the quote, friends are the family you choose, and so being able to have that is really important, and a lot of times when people are going through crap, they like to kind of shut themselves off and not ask for help. And yeah. I would say, I would say to that, please reach out because a lot of a lot of people want to help, but it sometimes can be harder to ask for help than to yeah. receive help. Oh, that is a really good point. And you know, that's kind of what we try to do or hope, hopefully we can bring to to folks through you know we run with you so thank you so much i like i said there's so many so many more things i want to get into or more questions that i had in my on my notes here that i didn't get to so definitely would would love to do this again if you're if you're up for it i have like i said i have so many stories rob <laughs> yeah and i'd love to, to hear them i think they're all amazing so again thank you so much for for being here. Hopefully, you know, I think our, our audience um, took a lot of value from, from this conversation. I, I certainly did. So, so, again, thank you. And to everyone listening, um, we will uh, put some of uh, Jocelyn's uh, info, maybe uh, what social media she wants to share in our show notes um, so you can maybe reach out and, can, you know, kind of stay connected um with that thank you for joining us and we'll talk to you next time thank you very much for having me thanks again for listening we hope you enjoyed this episode if you did please consider leaving us a review on itunes and sharing this podcast you can find show notes and other episodes as well as articles from many of our contributors on werunwithyou.org you can also connect with us on social media at we run with you on instagram and facebook if you'd like to connect with Jocelyn, she is at jwneil302 on Instagram. And you can catch her on thelongstar.com. Until next time, keep doing good. <laughs>